listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. So if we equate a stillness practice with making ourselves available totally to what is by allowing whatever shows up in our experience to hit us fully, continually. And we do this with consciousness, mindfulness. We enact awakenings charge and awakenings charge awakenings requirement is not flinching if we can meet everything that shows up if we can allow everything that shows up to literally crash into us just like the film crash if we can let it be there and let that slowly but surely kind of render our defensiveness impotent. It renders our defensiveness if we just practice this all the time, allowing the world to show up. Awakening happens through us for all beings. Now, there's several ways of talking about this, but I was kind of interested tonight in throwing a little Buddhism at you. Uh, the Buddha taught that there are four noble truths that we suffer. There's a cause to this suffering. There's an end to this suffering. And then the fourth one, and perhaps the most intriguing, here's how you end it. Okay? So just a little background, first of all. The first truth that life is suffering, this means no matter how happy we might be, there's a conjoined experience with that happiness, which is sadness. Whatever brings us happiness we start to recognize at some point in time in life that that happiness is always temporary. It's fleeting. It will end. And the cause to that suffering is trying to keep it from ending. We try desperately to keep whatever juice we're getting from experience, we try to keep that juice flowing. And that actually is the origin. It's the origin of the suffering, is that clinging, that attachment, or that aversion to discomfort. So the end of suffering then is brought about whenever this crash of experience is neither craved 
nor averted. It's that simple. As long as our experiences, be they thought-based or body-based, physically, you know, whether it's physical, it's in the body, it's a rush that the body wants to feel, or it's an intellectualization or some type of psychological situation that the mind might be really into, if we can recognize it for what it is without going after it or pushing it away, we are bringing about awakening's charge, awakening's requirement. So this is done in what we call an eightfold path. And this eightfold path is basically just a series of signposts showing you how to stay close to, how to remain intimate with the requirement of awakening. And so we begin with having uh, an ability to see the way things really are. Not the way we want them to be, but the way they really are. We refrain from window dressing anything. We see it for what it is. This doesn't mean that if we are given lemons, we can't try to make lemonade. That's all well and good, but you better recognize lemons before you try to make lemonade, or you might end up making something else. <laughs> I don't really know where that metaphor is going, but uh, you, you, I don't know what else I'm going to make if I don't know that they're lemons. Right. But in all honesty, that, that first step is so critical, recognizing what is. Recognizing what is and not running or not grabbing. The next is having, you know, after this idea of uh, having a, what we call a perfect view or right view, right understanding, is the right aspiration or right thought. And I sometimes refer to this as having the right relationship to thought. If our relationships to thoughts, if we give them added meaning, they become obstacles. If we add extra to our thoughts, they become obstacles to awakening. For example, whatever thoughts you may have, may have, whatever opinions you may have or convictions that you may have in relationship to awakening or happiness or joy or correct political behavior, whatever your views are about all those things that I just said are the obstacles to happiness to joy, to correct political behavior. Those thoughts that you have, that we have, 
we begin to actually embellish experience and imbuing it with meaning that gets in the way of open, uncontracted, impersonal reality. We give it personal, contracted meaning. And that is what boxes us in. So having this ability to go from having a... Uh, a, a uh, shall we say, a, a right view into right thought. Letting go. Letting go of the thoughts, letting go of the feelings, letting go of the experience, letting go of the presupposition of the opinion, letting go. We have just completed then the wisdom part of the Eightfold Path. The wisdom aspect of the Eightfold Path are those first two things. Right view and right thought. From here, let's say we can get that down. We can begin to kind of renounce, not as in push away the world, but we renounce the world as in literally letting it go and holding it tenderly in an open embrace. From this place, we can then begin to authentically respond to whatever shows up in a compassionate way. And we do this, uh, number one, by speaking in a way that comes directly from the absolute as consciously, as continually as possible. That our speech isn't about stinging, it isn't necessarily about trying to knock sense into somebody else. It's in fact learning to speak to ourselves and others. That we begin to recognize that this idea that I am in here and everything else is out there, that division that we spoke about last week is really, really flimsy. That actually every single being is an aspect of us. Once we begin to see that, all of our speech becomes a speech to and from self. Don't try to intellectualize that. Just try to listen with your whole body on that one. We begin to touch lives with our speech. We don't lie. We don't slander. We don't praise ourselves at the at the expense of others. We refrain from overtly harsh words, from gossip, especially from idle chatter. Idle chatter often is a way for us to mask our own sense of insecurity. Being able to hold silence, being able to hold silence openly, is a way for us to express a non-divided humanity. It's a way for us to express the tenderness that can come from a crash. The next aspect of the compassionate side of things is right action. 
what is our response? What is an appropriate response, not only verbally, but also in our activity? We don't kill. We don't steal. We don't abuse ourselves or others, especially in regard to our sexuality or um, uh, intoxication. We become intimate with the experience, whatever it happens to be. And each of these things can get in the way of that intimacy if they're abused. Now, as usual, I will do my quick disclaimer. Uh, boy, there's nothing like <laughs> great wine, great beer, scotch now and again. I've even been known to smoke a cigar once in a while. There is Dharma in a big, fat stogie from uh, Cuba. <laughs> okay, maybe not. But uh, it's how can we not fall into tilt? In other words, hit a tipping point where we then begin to slide out of awareness. In each of these, it's a very, very careful dance. And if it's not any of those things, maybe it's shopping. I use that a lot. You know, maybe that's sh maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's Zen. Maybe it's books. Maybe it's magazines. Maybe it's television. Maybe it's film. What's your addiction? Watch your addictions. Watch your because that's the, that's the clinging. And that's what perpetuates a divided self. That's what disallows for the crash to open us. The next aspect of this moral part of the Eightfold Path is our livelihood. How do you make your livelihood work? Do you contribute or do you take from the whole? Are you helpful or are you a hindrance? Now I'm painting this in real dualistic black and white terms and that's not really very fair. But as a first step towards recognizing what it is you do, how do you make your impact in the world? Is it constructive or is it destructive? And the more you can support the constructive, helpful, beneficial elements for the sake of the all, the less divided you are, the more unified you are, the more that we are opened by the crash. The next aspect of this Eightfold Path actually deals with stillness. So we have wisdom, compassion, and stillness. And the stillness has three component pieces to it. And the first one is what we call right effort. Are you putting in your time? 
are you really making an effort to do this or is it kind of an intellectual exercise? Are you putting your toe in the water or are you actually trying to get in? Are you putting your toe in the water to just test it out and see if the me likes it? Or are you actually committed? Is there something in you that feels pulled to really, really, really question what it is that you want? Do you have the ability in a stillness practice to really let go? Can you watch these thoughts as they arise and let them go? Can you let unwholesome thoughts that arise, unwholesome activity in your life, can you begin to just let it go? Can you maintain stillness even when you're moving? These are great questions that can help support this Eightfold Path. The next aspect of the meditative section of the Eightfold Path here is what we call right mindfulness. Can you really be mindful? Is there complete awareness in a very, very radiant and clear comprehension of body, of feelings and emotions, of the mind, and of mind objects or thoughts. We call these the four foundations of mindfulness. The body itself, feelings, the mind, consciousness, okay, and then the objects of mind. Can you be really clear about all that stuff in your day-to-day? Does your stillness practice involve a clarity? Okay, I sometimes have described this as a sweeping or dusting of the lampshade so that the radiant light that is in underneath that shade begins to illuminate more and more and more and more. This happens as we practice this type of mindfulness, as we bring stillness, whether it's on our cushion or it's in our work, or it's as we're buying ice cream with sprinkles. Lastly, it's right meditation. And this can get so tricky because it's easy for the ego to jump in here at this last part of the eightfold path, at the eighth fold, if you will, and discount meditation. I don't need to. Today, I'm tired today. I don't really want to. It's, it's like the old adage, you know, when you don't want to go see your therapist, that's really when you really, you really, really, really need to go see your therapist. Same thing in meditation, when it begins to kind of, nah, God, get on the cushion. 
get in your chair, do whatever you have to do to make sure that you, <laughs> that you bring that stillness consciously into your day to day. Because what it does is it keeps the numbness from coming back. We remain raw and open to the all. We recognize that increasingly we have exactly what it takes to be undefended continually. That there's nothing that we have to defend. We have to expend precisely no energy on holding anything back because we have developed this equanimity. We have developed this openness. We have developed a conscious approach to infinity, this transplant of the big into the contracted, which allows this much more strength, this much more energy, this much more openness to everything that is closed, including other people. Instead of fighting back or defending, we can open ourselves more deeply. We can listen more deeply. We can see more clearly. We can feel at a much deeper level. And from here, everything becomes a crash. That the chaos of the universe becomes a beautiful offering instead of something that is perpetually threatening. I think, and I hope it's all right if I share from the standpoint of you, Chris spoke first, and what he quickly spoke was basically the same thing that I spoke, but his was wrapped in a different package than mine, but it was all the same. Say that one more time, please, so the entire group can hear. Forget it. I'm when, teasing you, but that's... You, but Claire, do you see... Yes. When Chris said his three things... Right. And these were what keeps us numb, numb what, what types of crashes open correct. us... And we both also rather felt that the numbness and the crash were mm -hmm. basically one. Mm -hmm. uh, and then... The vow. And then the vow. What Chris shared with me and what I shared with him were basically the same things, but they were wrapped in different packages. Mm -hmm. The names or places might have been different, but the the feeling basically was the same. Right, like spirit, huh? Correct. Spirit's just wrapped in different packages mm -hmm. and has several different names here in this mm -hmm. room. has a different bow on it. Right. Different color. Sometimes it's not a bow. Sometimes it's barbed wire. Correct. Right. Correct. Right. Any crash can take you in one of three directions. It can either close you down. It can keep you right where you are, which is the definition of torture. Okay. Or it can open you which is the path. 
Path is continual non-numbness. Non-division comes from that non-numbness, that actual opening. And how does one get to that point? By refusing at a real deep level to move. Talk a little bit more about it. Well, it's not that you don't move in your day-to-day, but it's that you don't flinch from what life offers. You continually remain steady and intimate no matter what is thrown, and that generates then uh, it's 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 almost a perpetual generation of of this. Now it goes in fits and starts. It opens, closes down a little bit because ego pulls pulls the levers a little bit. You know, come back, come back, come back. I am the great Oz, right? And then then, but it it develops its own beatific inertia as opposed to kind of a contracted numbing inertia. Okay? Stillness brings this about. It cannot help but bring this about because stillness is at the core of everything. Everything is born from total stillness. Everything is born from stillness. So the more we consciously apprehend stillness, the more we tend not to shrink back from a crash but actually become opened by it. And recognize what it is is what it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other way we could say this is to just live real close to truth always. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. I Cake. like that. <laughs> We have time for another? Yeah. Um, and so meditation, in this sense, is sort of a microcosm of that openness, that ability to watch what's coming up really, really carefully and not go along with it, but just watch it coming up and then bringing that awareness into your daily moments and just being there in the similar fashion, but sort of an expedient means to making that happen in your daily life. Sure, it's like training wheels. Right. Except the thing is, rather than training wheels, because there is some point when you don't need training wheels, and meditation is continual. Um, Meditation goes from becoming training wheels to becoming a continual, perpetual refinement of an ever-deepening process. And you're really doing it during your day. I mean, the meditation sort of never stops. Right. I mean, you gain that practice by sitting. When you sit there, but once you've come out, the meditation never really stops. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. And what you'll usually what happens is once you, especially if you meditate in the morning, if you meditate yeah. in the morning, you create kind of a, a buffer mm. to reactivity, right. right? Instead of reactivity being right yeah. there, right, it's, right, right. Hmm. There's more. Now of I get to choose. Watching that come right. up, whatever that was. Exactly. All right. 
And from that place, then whenever we do get whipped around in our day, we tend to have this fallback position, which is, yeah. oh, yeah, look at that. Right. As right. opposed to that witness. Yeah we, yeah. we just literally exercise the witness by allowing it to show up. Right. Right. And when we don't sit still, we disallow for the witness to show up. And the, the sad thing is, is the witness is all there is. Right. So by that definition, just to kind of backtrack, by disallowing all that there really ever is, what are we doing? We're dividing ourselves from spirit. Right, right. We're dividing ourselves. Yeah. How effective can that tear be in the world? Indeed. Only so effective, and some people are pretty damn effective, and they are just broken all, in all sorts of different ways. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming tonight.